You know, it's interesting as you preach, you sing the songs with what you're preaching in mind. And in uh, Psalms 37, 39, he says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Not from our righteousness, but from His righteousness. And we'll be talking about that. This morning, this Mother's Day 2019, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalms 37. I want to say chapter 37, but it's Psalms 37 because it stands by itself. In a message I've entitled, A Word to the Wise. And if anybody could uh, use a little heavy dose of God's wisdom, it's those of us who are mothers and fathers and grandparents and everyone else who lives in this increasingly satanically influenced world and society. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think things are getting better. I think they're getting worse. And I think it's time that Christians stand, take their stand without compromise on the Word of God. So it seems that daily we're being assaulted with attitudes and legislation that are directly contrary to the wisdom of God's Word. It seems like everything in our society is headed south instead of the right way, right? Everything's going south uh, you know, what with the LBGT agenda, the women's rights, the Me Too movement, the feminist attitudes, the sinfulness and wickedness of men and the perceived and real sexual abuse and the depraved condition of our society where virtue and truth are under constant attack and lies and perverseness are continually on the rise, even exalted, even believed. They even appear to be prospering. You almost get the feeling people would rather be lied to than hear the truth anymore. One can almost adopt the attitude of, why fight it? If you can't lick them, join them. Why not be on the side that appears to be winning? Why not just uh, throw in the towel and float downstream like everybody else? Why not just give up, throw up your hands and say, I've had enough, I surrender. If God doesn't appear to be winning, then why be on his team? Good question. Well, to answer that kind, those kinds of questions, David wrote Psalms 37. He'll tell you exactly why you don't throw up your hands, why you don't give in, why you don't just float downstream with society and the perverseness of everything. In other words, it's a word to the wise. And in this psalm, just like in Psalms 1, he shows there are two paths we can take, God's path or the world's path. And he masterfully brings out the eternal security and eternal destination of those who choose God's path and the insecurity and temporalness and damnation of those who choose the world's path. One leads to exaltation for all eternity, the other leads to damnation for all eternity. David will bring that out and make it obvious to us. Now, as we look at this psalm, obviously there's no way to cover this psalm in one setting. There's 40 verses, and they're all just packed with stuff, great stuff for each of our lives. So this is kind of going to kind of be an overview, and I just want you to get a, a love and get the flavor of what's here and study it on your own, read it on your own, read it over carefully five or ten times this week. It's one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. Anyway, this psalm is sort of a mini book of Proverbs. 
But as we look at the word to the wise, we'll look at several key biblical principles, which I believe will be a blessing to each of us on this Mother's Day 2019. And the first is found in the first six verses. It's trust in the Lord and do good, in spite of what's going on in the world, in spite of what we're assaulted with every day. Trust in the Lord and do good. Look at verses 1 through 6. He says, do not fret. And the root word here means don't get white hot, don't get angry, don't, don't work yourself into a lather about what's going into this world because it says, because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers. You know, the problem with getting yourself all upset about everything that's going on in the world is eventually you become like them. You eventually want to be them. You want their power. You want their uh, fame. You want their fortune. You want everything they have for yourself and don't like the fact that they have it because they misuse it. Don't work yourself into a lather. Don't get white hot about evildoers because you'll end up envying them and being like them. He says, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. In other words, they have no future. There's no future in wickedness. It ends at death and damnation takes over for eternity. And then he says, here's the wisdom, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Despite what the world's doing, you do what God wants. Trust in God. Do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Marvelous verses. Now, these first six verses are a very long sermon all by themselves. In fact, you could probably take every one of these verses and do a 45-minute exposition on each one of them, and we're not going to do that this morning. You can thank God for that. But uh, notice David's wisdom that has grown with his years. Verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old. David knows God and he has experienced the grace and mercy and goodness of God as well as his discipline and chastisement for his sinfulness. And David has a wealth of wisdom and experience that can come from God when someone walks with God for a lifetime. And Years and years of walking with God tends to temper a man and a woman and to bring about those changes and those things in his life that really show what God is all about in an experiential way. And, and uh, David, a man after God's own heart, has much to say to us in this psalm. I'm not going to say it all this morning. I could, probably couldn't say it all in a lifetime, but he has much to say to us. David has come to the firm conviction that when your life trusts and honors God, then God honors and blesses your life. Now, that could be through life or death. Many martyrs, millions of martyrs have died down through the centuries where God has not delivered them from death, but he gave them a testimony that has lived on. It's an incredible thing. Read the book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, or, or the, the, the newer version, Jesus Freaks, and it'll, just, it'll blow your mind. It just... It's incredible how God honored their lives, whether it's through life or death. And, and he does this throughout the Psalms. He contrasts the wicked with the righteous. And he says the wicked don't just, 
don't, don't fret the wicked. Don't be envious of them if they appear to have it all. Uh, they're like the grass. They're like the fading green herb. They have no future. As 1 John 2.17 says, For the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. There's a passing away of this world and all the things that are in this world and everything we touch and see will pass away. But those who love God and know God will live on forever. And he will keep repeating that phrase in so many ways in this psalm. And so trust God. Do good. Plant yourself. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight in God as Pastor Craig talked about last week, and he will give you, he will place within you the godly desires and passions that ought to be in your heart. Isn't that interesting? As we get in God's Word and we understand who God is and we see the principles there, we see the attributes of God, then we begin to be conformed to His image, don't we? That's what happens. He begins to place within our hearts his own passions, his own desires, his own perspective on life, and we begin to live that. Powerful thing that happens. That's why we emphasize get in the Word daily. Read the Word. Uh, have a personal study time. And don't just, don't just read it, but meditate on it, as Pastor Craig uh, said several weeks ago. Meditate. Seek the heart of God. Commit your ways to Him. Trust Him. And He will bring about His plans and purposes in your life. And God will establish you as a person of integrity and reputation and righteousness. Look at verse 6. He says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. In other words, people will see in you a total difference from what's in the world. They'll see the great ones of the world, and they'll see your life, and there will be a, it'll be like night and day because men love the darkness. And the more power and prestige and fame they get, the darker and darker they end up being. Whereas the more we get to know God, the more light is shown from our lives and the way we live, the way we talk, the, the, the desires and passions we have are not like the world, but they're like what God's Word says. And that's the important change, the transformation that takes place in our life. In other words, God will make you a person of substance and worth and godly reputation, all because we trust in Him and do good as defined in His Word. Don't envy the world. Trust God. Trust that His way is the best. Even though the world's out there offering you whatever on a platter, there's a terrible price to grab onto it, whereas God offers you freely and the end result is eternal life, as we'll see. Now, a second word of wisdom is found in verses 7 through 11. It's, be still or rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Look at verses 7 through 11. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him, or be still before the Lord and wait uh, expectantly or longingly for him. And it's not just the kind of resting that does nothing. It just lays back in the lazy boy chair and says, okay, God, do something. It's the kind of resting where 
you commit everything to the Lord, you trust in Him, you serve Him, you do, you wait on Him, like a waiter, a good waiter who is waiting on a table, he's not just going, you know, I, I remember we were in Romania one time, and because, anyway, we we're, we're eating, and the waitress comes up, and she's like looking out in the street and gazing, and finally I go, are, are you our waitress? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had no idea what she's doing. She was not being still and waiting patiently or expectantly on those she was supposed to be waiting on. Uh, over there at the time, after years of 70 years of communism, it would have been a revolutionary thought if a waiter, waitress actually came up to you and said, may I help you? That would have revolutionized their society. I'm serious. Any store you went into, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even acknowledge you were alive. They just keep an eye on you out of the corner of their eye to make sure you didn't steal anything. That was it. It would have revolutionized it if they would have just said, may I help you? Sometimes in our lives it would revolutionize our lives if we would just be still before the Lord and say, here I am, use me. Let me serve you, Lord. And wait expectantly to see what he would do through you. Then he, where were we? Then he says, he says, do not fret. In other words, again, don't get white hot because of him who prospers in his way. Because they seem to, you're waiting on the Lord to move and they're out there grabbing everything they can get their hands on. Right? And they seem to prosper because in our world that works. You go after what you want. And you get it for yourself because it's all about you, bro. Then he says, uh, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, men seem to do anything they can to get what they want. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. In other words, quit, quit envying. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing because you will start to imitate what you think about all the time. If you're fretting about evil, if you're fretting about politicians, if you're fretting about what's going on in our country and all that, it's good to know that stuff, but don't let it take over your life because you'll end up doing evil yourself. He says, for evildoers will be cut off. This is the first time he mentions that. He mentions it five times. It means to be totally just whacked off, right? That's it. It's over. Bam. And that's what's going to happen to evildoers one of these days. Or in this lifetime, they will be cut off. We've seen a lot of that lately. Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi. Uh, you could go down the list. Ultimately, they seem to be prospering, and then in, in a moment, just bam, it's over. He says, but those who wait for the Lord, who are still before the Lord, who are longingly waiting on him, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Now, again, the issue is what's temporal and what's eternal? Because the wicked seem to get theirs so much faster, don't they? It just seems like they get what they want. You know, this scheme to get your, their kids in... Uh, uh, prestigious institutions with these actors, you know, that they was paying hundreds of thousands of dollars 
you get the kid to go to some party school and get a degree or whatever. And it didn't work, did it? But it appeared to be happening really quick. And I would imagine there was a few upset people that didn't get into college because of these individuals. But they seem to be getting theirs much faster. They appear to prosper. They appear to thrive, but don't envy them because it's all temporary. It's all fleeting. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away, James tells us. What are you going to do while you're in the process of being vaporized with your life? <laughs> I just thought of that. Anyway, <laughs> they appear to thrive. But the one who rests, who is still before the Lord, the one who waits patiently, longingly, expectantly for the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully, they will inherit the land. They will not be cut off. They will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Ultimately, they will be in the forever kingdom of God. I don't know what part the kingdom of God has in your life, but as I get older and older, it just keeps hitting me that I am going to be in the kingdom of God. In fact, I'm going to be ruling with Christ in the kingdom of God. I'm going to, uh, Romans 8, 17, I'm a son of God. And by implication, you're a daughter of God. You mothers and everybody, every other woman that's here this morning, we're all sons and daughters of God. And it says, and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Why? Because Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren, so we inherit what he inherits. We're going to get it all someday. Or 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance which is, now get this, imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, protected by the power of God, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amazing, amazing promises. You see, ours is the forever kingdom, and he will keep using that word forever in this. He uses it at least four times, and he implicates it many more times. Forever. What is forever? Forever is never-ending. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's, it's forever. I mean, how good is forever? You know, there's some things you do in life and you just go, ugh, I wish I could experience this forever. Well, we will. Psalm 1611 says, at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. And we're not talking about the sinful, wicked pleasures of this life. We're talking about the pleasure of knowing God and living in God's presence and living with God's people and fellowshipping that will just be incredible in the kingdom of God in the new heavens and new earth as well as in heaven. So don't fret. Don't worry. Don't be envious of evildoers. Their seeming prosperity will soon be over, will soon be cut off. So rest, be still before God, wait patiently for his vindication and eternal blessing. Learn to discern between what's temporal and what's eternal. You know, again, I think of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, Therefore, do not lose heart, 
For though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed. He says, for momentary light affliction, that's what this life is, it's light affliction. Some seems heavier than others, but it's light affliction is producing in us, it says, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. There's nothing that we have to look forward to that you can even compare in this lifetime. He says, while we look not at the things that are seen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Has anybody seen God? Have you seen God work in your life? Anybody? Every hand should be up. Thank you. Don't mean to wake you up. But every hand should be up because we, though we have not seen God, we love Him, we have seen Him work in our lives, First Peter says, and it's incredible just to think about the life to come that we have with God and the life we have right now with Him. And in this psalm, David is speaking in both in the, a temporary and an eternal sense about the man or woman who walks with God. And the wisdom is that it's all going to end right the righteous will inherit the land, they will inherit the kingdom, they will inherit everything the Father has to give us. So rest, be still before God, wait patiently, and you will see his amazing blessing and continue to see his blessing in your life. Now, why take that attitude? Well, because thirdly, David David's word of wisdom is in verses 12 through 15 is that God is on our side. You know, I talk to a lot of Christians and I, sometimes I, I get the feeling that God's not on their side. He's like trying to rain on their parade. You know, they're trying to be at the head of the, head of the parade and they're trying to do their thing and, and God seems to be reining them in and trying to get them to do his thing. And they haven't quite got the idea that his thing is way more important than your thing. And he will make your thing work if you put, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it says, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. But we got to get it in our heads. God's on our side. And I don't care what you're going through or the, what you're facing. You may be facing death. You may be facing some horrible financial reversal you may be facing, who knows, teenagers. <laughs> but uh, God's on our side still, even if we had to go through that. You know, it says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth with his, and gnashes at him with his teeth. Why do the wicked get so angry at righteousness? You ever ask yourself that? Why are they so upset that you're living a, a godly life? Why do they just want to drag you through the mud with them to the point where they're gnashing their teeth at you? It says, the Lord laughs at him. <laughs> Lest you think that God is afraid of sinners, don't be. For he sees his day is coming, the day of judgment. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast, to cast down the afflicted and the needy. They always pick on somebody who they feel is vulnerable, right? 
to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken or shattered. Now simply put, this verse tells us the wicked will get theirs. If not now, then in the judgment when every man, Revelation 20 tells us, will be judged according to his deeds. I I love to read about the judgment in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, where where it says, and men were judged according to what was written in the books, plural, the scrolls. And God's judgment will be perfect. Man will be judged. I remember Francis Schaeffer just saying, at the judgment, all God will have to do is put a tape recorder around the guy's neck, punch the button, and play his life back before him, and he'll understand why he's sentenced to the lake of fire. But then it says, and another book or scroll, one scroll was written, and I've said this before because since Christ took our sin and nailed it to the cross, the certificate of debt, Colossians tells us, and nailed to the cross, all that needs to be in that book is Bob, Dave. You know, it's all that needs to be there. Melissa. The only thing that needs to be there is your name, not a cataloging of perfect judgment of how you've lived. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love. That's incredible. But every man is going to be judged. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 22 tells us that all judgment has been given into the hands of the Son. It will be Christ sitting on that great white throne, and he will judge every man perfectly because he is the one who paid the penalty for our sin. And when we come before that, he'll say, pardoned, I, my blood has covered that man's sin or that woman's sin. Enter into the joy of your master. So once again, men have a choice. Either they can bow before Christ as Lord and Savior, or they'll bow before him as judge and executioner. But every knee will bow be of those who are in heaven and earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And whether it be as Savior or judge, God will be glorified through it all. It will be all to the glory of God. No matter how fierce and rebellious and violent the wicked were, God will always have the last laugh. Don't ever forget that. We read of horrible things happening to Christians in the Middle East and Indonesia and so on and so forth. Just remember, God will have the last laugh. Judgment will come. Those who have rejected Christ, those who hate his people, will perish forever. And that's the tragedy of it. I always remember Jim Elliott, when they went to the Aka Indians, they had rifles and everything in that, that plane. They could have shot the Aka Indians, but they uh, decided that their lives were expendable because... They were already going to heaven. These savages, or whatever you want to call them, were on their way to hell. So they gave their own lives that these people might have the possibility, 
of gaining life in Christ. Just remember that God has the last laugh, and God in Christ is 100% on our side. God wins, which means we win every time. <laughs> so just keep that in mind as you go through life. We don't need to get vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not vengeance is Bob's or Dave's or Sherry's or whoever's. We don't need to take our own vengeance. God will have the last laugh. Then fourthly, God's, David's experience in relationship with God has taught him that God sustains the righteous. Let's read verses 16 through 26. It says, Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. And that was always irritating. Why does God make evil people rich or allow evil people to get rich, right? Why doesn't he make me rich? Why can't I win the lottery? You know, why can't, you know, you, you go on with this forever. Then he says it's better than the abundance of many wicked. Many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but God sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. I love that. And their inheritance is what? Forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. In other words, God will sustain them, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. In other words, he's a taker. There's basically two kinds of people in this world. There's takers and there's givers, right? But the righteous is gracious and gives. That's what characterizes us. We are givers. We even to the extreme of giving our life for the sake of others. Greatest among you should be your servant. First among you should be your slave. That's giving your life for another. The righteous are givers. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, and those cursed by him will be cut off. That's the second time he uses that. It means to be basically to be destroyed, to be no more. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I love that, too. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, in other words, into ruin, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been old, and now I am, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. How often have we experienced the truths of these words? God sustains and provides for us in this life, and he gives us the hope of heaven and the kingdom and future blessedness and eternal life in the next. You know, the moment you receive Christ is the moment you entered eternal life. That's life that never ends. This life will end physically, more than likely, unless you're raptured, but our life never ends. That's why the judgment is called the second death. An unregenerate man is never alive, and then he's never alive for all eternity. He never knows what real life is, although he grovels for everything there is in this world. 
Therefore, the wicked are not so. They are ultimately broken in this life and will perish in the next without hope. Damnation being their only reward. Now just look at how our loving God has and Savior sustains us. Just kind of recount right here. Listen to this. He says, he makes a little go a long way, verse 16. Better than many wicked, the little of the righteous. God knows our days. He sustains us. He walks through the trials of this life with us and ultimately will give us our eternal inheritance in his eternal kingdom, verse 18 and 19. He preserves us in times of evil. He provides for us in times of famine. He has put it into our hearts to be givers, lovers of others, servants of others, verse 21. But we will inherit the land, the kingdom. It'll be a kingdom of servants. We're sons and daughters of God. And God gives us everything, even though we may not get it all here in this world, although many Christians are trying to. Our steps are established by the Lord. He takes delight in us, verse 23. When we fall, it's not into ruin because our God holds our hand and carries us through the trials and tribulations of this life, verse 24 tells us. And we leave a legacy of trust and faith in God and generosity and giving and loving others to the next generation so that our seed, our descendants are a blessing just as we have been, verse 26. I was talking to a brother the other day and I was saying, you know, your kids are so incredible. You've done such an incredible job of raising them, you and your wife, and uh, God is just using them and in a great way. And, and uh, you know, it's wonderful to see. I look at my own kids and I rejoice over the fact that that God has left a legacy, a little bit of my life. And well, anyway, <laughs> he's left a lot of my life and Sandy's life. In them. And they're in the process of leaving their life in our grandchildren. And what a, what a thing. Not cut off, but prospering. And the process goes on indefinitely. I won't say forever here, but it will go on forever. That's how our God sustains the righteous. When we trust Him in, in Him, when we rest and wait longingly for Him, when we passionately believe He has our best interests at heart, then He sustains our lives in this sinful, evil world. And it's an incredible thing. Then fifthly, David's wisdom would tell us that the Word of God directs the steps of the righteous. Look at verses 27 through 34. He says, Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. That's the second time he says that. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. 
That's the third time he says that forever, for eternal life. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. That's the third time he says that. The righteous will inherit the land and will dwell in it forever. That's the fourth time he says that. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not have him, will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Now, there's really nothing new in these eight verses as David sort of restates what he's already said in the previous 26, but he does add one very key element when he adds in verse 31, the law of the Lord, the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. He's talking about a man or a woman who the word of God is the anchor in their life. It's what we go back to every time we want to make a a decision. It's what we pray about. It's how we conduct our lives. It's our anchor. It's our rock. Now, this is the first time David has directly mentioned the word or the law of God. Up to this point, he's talked about an intensely personal relationship with God using such phrases as trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, rest in the Lord, wait for the Lord, and and the Lord knows the days of the blameless. But now he tells us how that happens. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of the Lord is in his heart. His steps do not slip. I like that. Finally gives us the key to the whole thing. It's the word of God. How do we order our lives? By the word of God. Where do we anchor our lives? Well, we anchor it in the Word of God and how He tells us how to live. How do we structure our lives? By the Word of God. God's Word and consequently God's, God is in His heart directing and establishing everything in His life. But notice, you know, I was thinking of Colossians 3.16, the New Testament counterpart of that. It would, What does it say? It says, Anybody? He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And he says, with psalms. And that's what we're doing this morning. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and so forth. Instructing, counseling one another. With all wisdom. And where do we get that wisdom? Well, right here. Right from the heart and soul of the Word of God and from David experiencing that. But the wicked are not so. They will soon, verse 28, be cut off, it says, whereas our Lord's godly ones will be preserved forever, verse 28 says. Because those who wait for the Lord, verse 34, will be exalted to an eternal inheritance, but the wicked will be cut off and perish for all eternity, and it says, and we will see it. You know, it's interesting, though we're not getting it all in this world, momentary light affliction, 
is producing in us what? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We need to keep that in our heads. This isn't all there is. We shouldn't fret over evildoers or even want to be like them because we're so focused on them. So, which path have you chosen? The way of the world, the broad highway that leads to destruction, the easy way, the one that's got all the on-ramps, <laughs> or have you chosen the way that leads to life and life eternal, the narrow gate? It's only got a small path, and you've got to go through the door, who is Christ, and enter in. That's the question we need to be asking ourselves this morning. Now, David ends this psalm by telling Israel, and this whole psalm has been to Israel primarily, but by extension to us, he tells us that our God is our help in time of trouble. Look at verses 35 through 40. He says, I have seen a wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. And he's talking about a tree that's just really planted and dug in and it's spreading out. Its tentacles are reaching out to anybody he can influence and affect and draw into his web. It says, then he passed away and lo, he was no more. I sought for him and he could not be found. And then he says, Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed, and the posterity of the wicked will be cut off. In other words, God will see that they do not prosper, that they don't prosper from generation to generation. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I love the Psalms where it says, Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. That's who we take refuge in. Now for the almost dozenth time, David recounts for us the fate of the, and eternal judgment of the wicked. Even those who are powerful, He's talking about a very powerful and great man in the eyes of sinners in this passage, even the exceedingly powerful and wicked. You know, where's the power and the influence of the pharaohs or the Medo-Persian Empire? Where's Alexander the Great? You know, where's his influence today? Uh, the Caesars, Hitler, Mao, Stalin, and the like. They're all dead and are no more. They cannot be found outside of some history book. Does that make them great? No, they passed away. They're gone. They're cut off. They went into a godless, Christless eternity. That's the tragedy of their existence, even though they seem to have spread out like this luxuriant tree and spread their wickedness, you know, worldwide. They're gone. They did not prosper. I don't even know if they have any relatives. Then David closes this psalm with these words. I want to read them again. He says, 
But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Notice it's not from himself. It's not by your good life and how wonderful you are. But salvation is from God. And we call that imputation. God made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And, and our sin was imputed to Christ, to his account on the cross. His righteousness as he rose from the dead, was imputed to us, and we're made righteous by him. We have no righteousness of our own, but our righteousness comes from him. And why we do what we do is because of him, and for his glory and for his honor. It's not for our glory or our honor. And then he says, the Lord, he is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, just as the end of the wicked is determined that they will be cut off, and it says, damned for all eternity, so too the end of the righteous is determined. Redemption, forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, uh, for the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not of our own making. He then tells us our strength is in the Lord in time of trouble. You know, how many of us could bear testimony to that truthfulness? How many of us could bear testimony to that strength? If you can't, you probably haven't lived long enough. <laughs> you know, he is also our strength in time of trouble. How many times have we been delivered from the wickedness and the wicked of this world? How many times have we taken refuge in the loving arms of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Times without number we've been spared. Times we probably don't even know about. Times we wouldn't even think we were being spared, we're being spared. Times without number we have been delivered. And through it all, through all the world, all this, whatever this world throws our way, our God and Savior has been our strength in our times of despair and trouble. As the scripture would say, a present help in time of need. So as David says in the Psalms, let's keep trusting, let's keep waiting on and serving the Lord, remembering he is eternally and mightily on our side, sustaining us, by keeping his word close to us and in our hearts and being our strength in times of trouble as we face all that this world throws our way. He is our righteousness and he is our salvation. So, this Mother's Day 2019, my hope and prayer is that you will grow to love and appreciate this psalm and the God of this psalm as much as I have over the years. You know, I was young when I first began to read it, and now I'm old. I've probably read it a hundred times. And the truths of this psalm are more alive than ever today in my heart. May God bless the truths of this psalm to our hearts I just want to say as we close, happy Mother's Day. May God give each of you a heart of wisdom as we go through this world and 
I think if you read through Psalms 37 a few times, it will greatly enhance the wisdom God has already given you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would take these stumbling words that uh, are very close to my own heart and uh, that you would take them and minister them to our hearts. Lord, that uh, maybe this morning something was said that is life-changing, that we would put into practice and we would put your wisdom to good work in this world. And Lord, uh, help us to trust in you, to wait on you, to realize that you're on our side, that, that Lord, you sustain the righteous and uh, Lord, that our righteousness comes from you. And Lord, we thank you for all these things. Thank you for David, though he perished, not perished, but uh, died a long time ago, that, Lord, his life still speaks. Thank you for the wisdom that was, that was given to that man as the psalmist of Israel. And thank you, Lord, that uh, he's really old now, and yet he still speaks. He speaks wisdom from your word. And so, God, uh, may we take that wisdom to heart and live out our days in wisdom. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.